This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so fired up for today because we've got Brendan Augmentson. He is the chief economist at BCREA. And of course, past guest fan favorite. Past guest fan favorite. Here's basically the logic here. First show back. Right. We're like, man, I'm fired up for 2023. You're fired up for 2023. Let's get Clint Murphy in and to talk about goals. And then second show, the logic is what's going to happen in the market in 2023. And yeah. there's literally, I don't think many people better than Brendan Augmentson to speak about right. what just happened, where we're at, where we're headed. He's so insightful about British Columbia real estate. It is so great having him back on the show. And it's so good to have him back second episode this season. Of all the guests we have on the program, I feel like I, I take a ton of talking points yeah. out of our conversation with Brendan. I, there's so many um, things he said in the last conversations that I always think back and go, where did I hear that? That was right. like an amazing thing that just sticks with you in terms of thinking about our, our market. And it's, and he's, he's one of those guys. And you know what the other thing about him is, is his forecasting is accurate in many cases. When we look back, having him on over the course of years and also looking at his reports over the years yeah. too, really good sense of the market. They're doing good work. A lot of the modeling that they do kind of real time true. data, real yeah. time data. He's, it's, it's no, it's great. And this is a wide reaching conversation. I do feel like it was you who said last time he was on that, like he could have been our next door neighbor growing up. And I think this is confirmed again by his music choice and his movies, the yeah. four posters in his entertainment center at his house or right. whatever, whatever his living room's called. It's kind of, man, there's, there's a specific, I was born between 1978 and 1982 and that's him and yeah. that's us. So it was, it's always good connecting. Me on the you're, higher side. Yeah, that. You're a you're a millennial. I do. I know. Of no, anyone, of, of anyone, of anyone we ever have on, Brendan does say he's Gen X aggressively. Yeah, he, he brings it up every time. I'm a Gen X. I'm, I'm on Gen the Gen X. X line, but I uh, I lean Gen X. Anyways, we're we've got it's a great program today. Before we get to that, I just want to shout out Clint Murphy because he was gracious enough to join us in the studio for That's our right. first episode of the year. We've had a ton of feedback on the goal setting program, we're not usually a, what I would call self-help genre, you know, no. professional motivation no. podcast. So we kind of, we, we stepped a little bit outside of what we typically do right. on this show, but man, the feedback, I think everyone's kind of in the same mindset, new year, new me, better version of myself. And it also feels like the market's kind of there in the last week, especially it feels like the energy's just ramping up. What that looks like in terms of sales, who knows? But I feel like people are getting back engaged, getting back involved, and it feels 
it feels really positive. It's no sure. secret right now that there seems to be at least uh, a momentum change in yeah, the market. There's a shift. There's definitely a shift. There's not a lot of inventory. We talked to Brendan about that today. We talk about what's going to happen in 2023, what's going to be the headline for the real estate market in 2023. We talk a little bit about um, what's going to happen with interest rates. We talk about inflation. We talk about the Canadian economy in general. We talk about demographics in BC again. It's We talk about where he would buy, where his best investments are. And then we, we close the show out. With his with, best YouTube clip. <laughs> <laughs> that too. And some great book recommendations. But we, we actually close the show out with his projections for the next one, three, and five years. You don't want to miss any of this. This is a guy who, like we said earlier, tends to get it right. So this is a fantastic conversation. I can't wait for this, Matt. We also have more shirts on order. Follow us at yeah. Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We've given away so many shirts. We are out of XL. We're we out gave of Brendan. Uh, Brendan might have got our last XL. We had Andre Pavlov and Tom Davidoff in here today. They both got smalls. Yeah, exactly. They were <laughs> True like, story. Thanks. True story. <laughs> I guess my kid's getting a shirt. Yeah, yeah. So we've got more shirts on order. Can't wait for those. Follow us on Instagram. We're going to be talking about a lot of different ways that you can get a shirt. And yeah, great content coming. This is exciting. New website launching. So many things. So many things. So new, many things. New year, new V-Rep? New V-Rep, that's for sure. Uh, but let's uh, not uh, not bury the lead. The conversation with Brendan Ogmanson. This is a good one. Stay tuned. Uh, and I love this episode. Yeah, it's, we'll see you on the outro. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam, with 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds. Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Brendan Ogmanson. He's the chief economist with BCREA, past guest fan favorite. How you doing, Brendan? Good. It's good to be here. I think this is, is this the trilogy? This, this is the, the trilogy. Time? You yeah. get the gold jacket this time. That, <laughs> Hopefully not the last time, though. I said to Adam, I heard you on with Stephen Quinn. What was that, oh, a week or two ago? That was like last week. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it was last week. Sounded yeah. good. I was telling my kid, I know this guy. Does it feel adversarial talking to Stephen Quinn? Because sometimes it it sounds adversarial. He's probably one of the tougher interviewers in Vancouver media, or so sometimes. But he's, you know, he's doing his job. But yeah, yeah. it does. He's, he's a different be, he vibe. Be a, little, he's a little sharper than some other interviews for sure. 
Right. Well, we were just talking about basketball. You, you got a son who's who's playing competitive basketball? Got two. I've got one in grade 11, one in grade nine. So I spend a lot of my time sitting in gyms, trying not to let the sports dad take over. Right. I actually got, I got in an argument at a Chilliwack tournament with the scorekeepers, the referee, <laughs> and the opposing team's coach. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't throw me out. It was not one of my final moments. Was, uh... The scorekeepers who were... 16, right? Teenagers were like several plays behind on every basket. And I was just like, you got to give us our points, right? Like it's driving me nuts. And then the opposing coach starts telling me that they're, they're just children, leave them alone. They're doing a bad job. I don't care if they're children. That guy sounds like a real (laughs) jerk. (laughs) So I, yeah, this makes me look awesome. I'm sure not one of my finer moments. I try and keep those to a minimum, but I get, you know, it's like if you're into sports and then your kid is also involved, it's just like times a thousand. You know what? I will say my daughter's plays like soccer, not really competitively, you fought a few teams. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. I care more than her. And I am well aware, like when we grew up, we're all around the same age. You'd look at parents and be like, that guy's a moron. <laughs> like the guy's screaming in the stands or yelling, like what an oh, idiot. He looks like such a fool. And now I'm now definitely you're that, guy? that guy or at least constantly having to check myself like, oh, I'm, I'm on the, yeah. Yeah. you know, and she's like, also, I don't know if it's girls or the age. When I played more hockey, people would be screaming at you in the stands. And you wouldn't actually acknowledge them. You just keep playing. Like my daughter, if somebody turns, she'll be like, here's why you're wrong. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, get like, back in yeah, the- you're breaking the, the yeah. wall or whatever. Like this, you're not supposed to well, do it's, that. It's just the way I watch sports too. Like I'm a huge Seahawks fan. And like, I feel like the more negative I am while watching, the better they're going to do. And so that carries over to all sports. And it's just like, even this, like, oh, I can't believe how terrible we are. And like, it can, it could be totally fine. So that's just the way I watch sports. So like it just, but then you're like in front of other people and like, anyway, I got to find a way to be better at it. But it is, it is fun. I mean, I love, I, I spend most of my time, my extra time these days watching kids play basketball and trying to keep myself in check. Matt just said, and I think it's, it's pretty accurate. We're all, we're all in the same age group. I would say we all grew up with Jordan in the late nineties. We all have already talked about the documentary on the show. I think at one point you're the only one that still watches basketball here. (laughs) (laughs) LeBron versus Michael. Oh yeah. Is there, cause I feel like I'm so out of the loop. I can't, I can't comment. And I'm always MJ just because uh, I grew up. I with think him. it's still MJ, isn't it? I think if you, it's very generational. I, I think it's pretty clearly Jordan's number one, and then and and I mean LeBron's amazing. He's he's going to break the all time scoring record. He's been playing for what's he in his twentieth season. He's still like last night he had forty six, forty seven points last night. He's he's in his late thirties. He's like thirty eight years old. Like it's incredible. The, the longevity is amazing. He's been so consistent. He's like the, the, the Bernie Madoff of without the scandal of sports. Cause it's just so consistent. Like every year, 28, eight and eight, every single season. You know, I like, like that. So the yeah. Bernie Madoff meeting. Without the corruption. Um, yeah. just so, but like these incredibly consistent <laughs> returns that Bernie Madoff used to get. Like every year, 15%. LeBron James is like that. It's just like every year. He's just say, same stats. And he just keeps no matter. He's 38. You shouldn't be at this level at that age. The Lakers are terrible. But, and they've, you know, he's missed the playoffs. And his record in the finals isn't as good as Jordan. Jordan's 6-0. and But but I have a Gen X bias. Of course, I'm going to I'm gonna go for Jordan. But yeah, LeBron's amazing. 
So it's these weird things where people make you choose between two. People do that with like Messi and Ronaldo. I used to do it as a kid with like, I hated Mario Lemieux because he was like almost as good as Gretzky. And I was like, he like can't be. And I was just so angry about it as a kid. So Yeah, it's interesting. I just finished the Nolan Ryan documentary. Oh, is that good? And it, uh, it, it is. Yeah, it yeah. actually really is. But I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan growing up again. I, I also, I always feel like pitchers are always put against each other as well, right? In every sport. How long does the doc spend on when he beat up Robin Ventura? You know what? There, It is a moment. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> I kind of want that for... I, you I'm going to have to buy a pool table and like create a billiards room just to have that <laughs> picture that on the wall. Yeah. But, um, but it, yeah, it, it is a, it's a moment. I actually don't remember that story from my youth. No. So I, I, and he was kind of old at that point too. Oh he? yeah. He's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, he's like, he's I was like, like that's dad his, strength. Like, late forties, like, yeah. early fifties. <laughs> and he just beat, he, yeah, it's like yeah. headlock oh, and yeah. like just feeds them. Just starting up an outboard motor. <laughs> dad strength. Dad strength. Okay. So, well, Brennan, for some of our listeners who don't know you or haven't listened to your previous episodes, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am the chief economist for the BC Real Estate Association. The association, of course, does all kinds of things. One of the things is providing economic research stats every month, go on television, I do stuff like this, go out in the media, do presentations, all that kind of stuff. Just trying to, you know, provide as much good information to the public in the industry as possible. Did you come out of school thinking that you would focus on real estate? Like, was that always something you wanted to consider or look I, at? I knew I wanted to do more like macro kind of stuff, which is pretty limited in the, where you can do that kind of work. And at the time I came out or shortly thereafter, we had the financial crisis when like real estate was really, really big, of course, as a big topic and macro is totally ignored before that. And so I got really interested in it then. And then, you know, things just, I was working in economic consulting at the time and then opportunity came up to work, uh, work in real estate. And, you know, it's, it really kind of marries everything. Like it's real estate's obviously a huge part of the economy in BC and it's driven by all these big macro factors, interest rates and all that kind of stuff. So I get to use all of my kind of interests in, in kind of one place. So Brandon, the question everybody wants to know, How's the market? I think, yeah, it's it's very slow. I mean, it's been <laughs> slow for a while. Like our last press release we put out, it kind of just plotted what sales looked like over the course of 2022 compared to like, you know, historical averages. We started last year, like 25, 30% above normal for like the first quarter in terms of sales. And then as soon as rates go up, you can see sales completely, you know, sharply decline towards the, you know, the end of the year, we we're 30% below what's normal, like 50% below 2021, which of course was a, had that really strong end of the year, but way, way below normal activity even. It's hard to point to any support for this, but anecdotally, there seems to be a bit of an uptick in the market here, just in the beginning of the year here in 2023. Are you seeing anything in kind of real time that supports that? Not in the data. So yeah, I wonder if that's like a the new new year, new energy kind of people reaching out because they're. I don't think so though, because I think I think stuff that had been sitting through November and December, a lot of it. Uh, I've heard of a lot of it getting absorbed and yeah. and even multiples on stuff that's been sitting, which is interesting. Yeah, no, I was in Victoria yesterday, and the same thing. So like realtors saying like I feel like I'm getting a lot of calls, and everyone I'm talking to is really busy, and then the person that handles sort of the data at the Victoria real estate board's like, I don't know, I'm going in and shocked at how low these numbers are. <laughs> so it could you haven't be, submitted those deals yet though. Yeah, it, it could be that like, there's a lot of like interest picking up and that's going to carry through to the next few months. Uh, it could also be like going from like a dead stop to, Oh, like now it's starting to pick up. I, I don't know. It's certainly not, we're not seeing it in the data yet. I think December Vancouver numbers are going to be pretty low. Uh, right now they're tracking like, 2008 
low. I think or 2009. I was going to say, that, when's yeah. the last time it's been this this slow? It must have been January. It must have been 2009 because that's that's kind of wake of the financial crisis. I think Vancouver had 779 sales or something or in that area. And that's about the ballpark we're in, you know, first two weeks of January. But first two weeks of January was slow. It picks up in the second half. So I think we'll probably finish ahead of that, but maybe not much ahead of that. I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about interest rates and I think we'll continue to talk a lot about interest rates, but, but what in your mind are the biggest factors influencing market conditions right now? Is it just an interest rate story? Right now, originally just an interest rate story. And then 2023, it's going to be what's the, the impact on the broader economy of those interest rates. So when you like look at you know, models like macroeconomic models and how long it takes an increase in interest rates to kind of feed through to the broader economy, it's usually like a year to a year and a half before you get the peak impact on the broader kind of on economic output, GDP, that kind of stuff. So we won't see the impact of those rate hikes on the, on the economy, jobs, that kind of stuff, till later 2023, first half of 2023. But in housing, it's like immediate. Like it's, it's, it's really immediate. We look in the data. So there's some sectors that are really interest rate sensitive and housing's, housing's the biggest one. So 2022 was all about interest rates. Interest rates went up really fast and the fastest pace since the nineties, you know, 400 basis points of tightening mortgage rates. You know, I had this great chart showing, um, complimenting myself what a great chart it was <laughs> an interesting chart showing back 70 years, the sort of calendar beginning to calendar end, how much five-year fixed rates have gone up in 2022 was like, the fourth highest or something. Like usually fixed mortgages are pretty boring through the year and then it kind of stands out. So, you know, it was an interest rate story in 2022. That was like what was really, especially if you're qualifying at like seven, eight percent, that's pretty tough to turn some of that demand that's out there into sales activity. And then 2023 is going to be about, you know, how long are interest rates going to stay elevated? And then what is the impact on the economy? Are we going to be in a recession in the first half of the year? Does that mean so rising unemployment rates, still with high, high mortgage rates, still high you know, variable rates unless the Bank of Canada starts cutting, which entirely depends on what happens with inflation. So it was an interest rate story. Now I think it's gonna be kind of a broader you know, story about the economy and, and what if we have a recession and what the recovery looks like from that recession. What do you think the economy does? Because I feel like we've been talking, I can, I can put this, it was actually on a podcast. I listened to some interview with Elon Musk. I think it was like last March. And he said, we're already in a recession. That was almost and a year ago. And he's basically never wrong. <laughs> but, but with that said, I feel like we've been talking about a recession oh, yeah. for, for a long time now. What, what do you think, yeah. what do you think 2023 looks like for the broader economy and how, how do these interest rates impact the, the Canadian economy? That's what I'm really trying to think through right now. Cause we're in like, you know, you know, what's your outlook for 2023 kind of season. And, you know, I was at the, I'm on the, the government's forecast councils. So they get all the bank chief economists and, and some, some chief economists from BC. We all give the finance minister our outlook for the year. And the consensus is, you know, we're probably going to have a you know, economists always think recessions are going to be short and mild, but that was sort of like short, mild recession this year, probably in the first half, right? And then it's like, you kind of wait, everyone's kind of wait. And that's been sort of the consensus for a while, I feel like. Certainly the media only talks about recessions, um, but we're still waiting for that to show up in the data. So like December jobs were 108,000 jobs created in Canada. The unemployment rate is at a record low. A lot of the data is pretty good. Some isn't. Like some of the GDP data is pretty soft. We look at consumption spending, investment are were negative in the third quarter. That usually doesn't happen unless you're kind of headed for a recession. So there's lots of really mixed signals. We're sort of still waiting for a recession to show up. 
the Bank of Canada's raised rates 400 basis points. That tells us that's really going to affect growth, right? And like the yield curve is inverted. So it's more expensive to borrow short term than long term. That's often a signal the recession is coming. It just isn't really showing up in the data yet. And inflation's starting to come down. We had some decent inflation. Even that was kind of mixed, the news report today. So it's tough. I think baseline will probably have growth at least slow down quite a bit and have unemployment rate. Yeah, and then employment rate rise, and maybe we get a few months of negative growth of GDP, enough to say that it's a recession. It's hard to say it's a recession, though, without job losses. You can't really declare something a recession unless we have rising unemployment, and we're just not seeing it yet. So we're going to have to see that for all these forecasts of recession first half of 2023 to come to fruition. We're going to have to start seeing that in the jobs data, especially, and it's just not there yet. Has, has the Bank of Canada been too heavy-handed, in your opinion? Yeah, it's either it's too early to say because it's such a long, such a long lag, right? So a lot of the the improvement we see on inflation right now, you maybe can't totally attribute to rising rates yet because they they take a long time to affect inflation. Again, it takes like a year to a year and a half to see sort of the peak impact of rate hikes on inflation. So inflation's come down, but a lot of it is because like gas prices are lower and you know, we have a you know supply chains are, are kind of getting fixed and that kind of stuff, that those sort of temporary shocks are starting to fade. We won't see, I think, the impacts of, of monetary policy on inflation for maybe the next six months. We won't really be able to grade the Bank of Canada until later this year. Like, they might come out of this and, like, inflation is back to 2% and the economy has a soft landing and they can lower rates back to what they consider neutral, which would be cutting rates by 100 to 200 basis points and everything's great and they look like geniuses or we could find out, oh, you guys tightened way too fast, went way too high. And now the economy is much weaker than anyone thought. We just don't know yet. Like either of those But in that situation, are, yeah. they cut as well. Yeah. They, yeah. They cut. The worst scenario I can think of right now is a situation where we, we do fall into a more severe recession with the unemployment rates rising, but inflation, like core inflation, so strip out the volatile stuff, is still sticky. And it like it is kind of showing signs of being pretty sticky right now. We're still seeing core inflation even today with five or six percent. And so that situation where core inflation is still way above target, two percent target, and the economy is really deteriorating. But like we just have this like because of expectations and wage growth was, you know, feedback loops from from expectations and stuff to prices means that we have this very persistently high inflation, the bank can't cut rates. Right. That that's what worries me is that the only way we get a strong recovery is if rates start coming down. And we see this. Uh, we're, we're releasing a report tomorrow about sort of a guide to recessions in the BC housing market. And you can find it on our website whenever this airs. And it, it shows like because housing market is much more interest rate sensitive, resale housing tends to fall and then bottoms out uh, about two or three months into the start of a recession. And then we get a very strong recovery. So the year following a recession, home sales tend to be up 30% from the year before. But that relies on interest rates coming down. So like, if we can't, if we don't get that relief on interest rates, it's much harder to see that strong recovery. And so if I if I understand the, the idea of the sticky inflation and the declining growth, it's basically stagflation. Yeah, that would be like a 70s scenario where you have high unemployment, high inflation. Yeah. So I'm just thinking because TD came out what, last week or yeah. five days ago with their big report. RBC, I saw something this morning. Both RBC and TD seem to be calling the bottom in Canadian housing, at yeah. least this spring. Like in the next couple of months, we're yeah. bottoming out. Are you kind of in line with that? It sounds actually like, though, it's pretty hard to forecast right now. It is. Our baseline is is that. 
that the housing market bottoms out in the spring and we start to see sales recover and prices recover. But like baked into that is that, you know, fixed mortgage rates start coming down and they are. So like five-year fixed rate probably peaked at five and a half percent on average. Last time I checked this morning, the average is about five, 509 or 5.19, something like that. But it's come down. Five-year bond yields are coming down as they tend to do. You know, bond markets are forward-looking. They're expecting, like everyone else, growth is slow. Inflation's coming down. And so bond yields are starting to, to drop. And five-year fixed rates will, will reflect that. So we're seeing some of what we need to see for that, that sort of baseline scenario to play out. It's really early. And it's, you know, it's one of those like bad news is kind of good news for the housing market counterintuitive things because, you know, it's so interest rate sensitive that, you know, we really need some worse news on the economy so that the Bank of Canada really signals hard that, like, oh, we're done hiking rates and we're actually now going to be sort of data dependent on when we start cutting rates. And maybe, you know, if you ask markets, look at, you know, market expectations, that's like September 2023. So end of the year, maybe the Bank of Canada starts cutting, five-year fixed rates fall in advance of that. And that would mean we'd have a decent recovery in sales. So every conversation right now that people seem to be having around housing is, yeah, it's slow, but there's nothing to buy, right? And so in, in thinking about inventory, can we talk a little bit about why is it so low? How, how low is it in the context of, of you know, recent years, 10-year kind of average? And then on top of that, usually February indicates uh, it is the time where we start to see more listings come to market. Do you have high hopes for historical norms kind of returning to the marketplace this year? So we ended the year in Vancouver, I think like seasonally adjusted, still under about 10,000 listings and healthy is like sort of around north of 15,000. So we're still pretty low in terms of inventory in Vancouver. And a lot of that is just, we started from such a low level in 2022. It just took a really long time to build back up even to these very low levels. So even with really slow sales, and that's most of how inventory is accumulated. It's just sales are just really slow. Things are just sitting longer. New listings are actually a little below average. Like we're not seeing a ton of new listings activity. No surprise. Like obviously, you know, a lot of listings are predicated on sales too. Like, you know, I'm going to sell my home and I'm going to buy this home. And so there's, they're, they're highly correlated. If you have low sales, you're probably going to have low new listings. And, and we're not getting any like distressed kind of selling. So you're not getting people like desperate to sell. So I think we'll get, you know, sales, if sales are going to be slow, we'll still get inventory accumulating. We do need more new listings activity, though, to get back to like more healthy levels. Again, the risk there is we are in a recession, unemployment rates rising, people are getting a reset to, on higher fixed rates, or they're getting, you know, hitting trigger rates. And just that combination, I've lost my job and my payments going up. That's sort of the bad scenario where then you got a spike. In, in inventory and like sellers that really need to sell. Yeah, actually distressed. Yeah, that that's sort of the, the the thing that we're monitoring the closest is like, what's going on with new listings? Like how are they picking up very quickly? What's going on with mortgage defaults, which is a very stale data series, but you know, worth looking at too. We're not seeing any signs of any distress in either of those categories, but that's sort of all, one of the things we're watching. So on the inventory side, I think we'll still get a very slow accumulation of inventory. Could be in a situation if sales pick up that inventory starts to really actually fall again because we're not getting the same new listings activity and it's not accumulating because of slow sales. I think we're going to have, you know, when we get past 2023, I think we're going to be stuck in the very, in the same, you know, sale. Because there's all this, all of these drivers of demand that haven't gone away. Supply side is still pretty broken. And so I think we're going to be in a situation eventually 2024 where we're back to like kind of an imbalance in markets where demand is recovered and listings are still pretty low. 
You know, just thinking about 2023, maybe can we take, and I guess obviously you focus on all of BC, so maybe uh, we'll talk specific locations as well, but what in terms of actual, maybe not sales volume, but actual prices, what's kind of a worst scenario for BC? Yeah. What's the expected scenario and kind of best case scenario for, for pricing? And then we can come back to it, but where do you think are the, where are the resilient markets? Where are our markets that seem to be kind of teetering? Yeah. So I think on the pricing side, a lot of the price declines that are forecasted. So whenever you read forecasts about prices, it's always annual prices, which makes things very difficult because you get in a situation like, I think even with that TD forecast or CMA, or the, the most recent Korea forecast, therefore the prices are actually, even if prices rise from where they are now, they're still going to be down annually year over year because the peak in 2022 was like ludicrously high. So we're not going to get back to that peak in 2023. We're certainly not going to volume weight going to get there. So prices are going to be down in 2023, even if they don't change at all from this. And this is a really difficult messaging problem I'm going to have <laughs> yeah. in, in February and March. It's going to look like prices like in Chilliwack and the Fraser Valley, where prices have come down, they're going to be down 25% year over year, but they haven't really changed that much in the last three or four months. That all happened in, you know, from February to June. So is there more downside than, you know, they've already come down in those markets from these really high peaks they're flattening out right now. Is there more downside? I think in those situations where we have like worst case scenario, where we do have a rise in the unemployment rate and rates are sticky at very high levels and people are getting reset in higher rates. That's when I think we could have some of that distress selling that tends to create some of that a lot more downward pressure on prices. Our baseline is basically for things to really kind of flatten out for most of most of BC because they've, they've already prices have adjusted a lot. Already, if you look at any chart of home prices, same shape, but, you know, a place like Chilliwack or Fraser Valley, Abbotsford, those kinds of places, they went up like 70% during the pandemic and have given back 30 and they're still up 40 from 2019, right? Yeah, so, right? So I think, you know, lots of words for a very simple idea. Like I think prices are maybe have a couple more percent downside, but mostly I think we're going to see them kind of flatten out and then start to recover in 2024. Okay, and, and it sounds like, well, we've talked about the markets that in the Valley out in Chilliwack where, where we've seen some real, you know, 25, 30% yeah. off, off of where they were, where are most resilient markets and potential for more downward pressure? So the most resilient markets are really like the Kootenai and like Kamloops, Kootenai, especially like if you look at a chart of the, of Kootenai sales, it looks like a totally normal year in 2022. What were the sales like in COVID? Were they, did they see a huge increase? It did, but not not like the markets where that got a lot of that like relocation kind of COVID demand where people were looking for you know affordable square footage and it was easier to find in Chilliwack and you could still maybe commute if you had to. Kootenai's pretty far away, so it didn't really have. So those markets like the Kootenai and the North didn't really have that type of demand. People weren't really, that's like a life, that's a pretty big lifestyle change. If you're like living in Vancouver, you're like, I'm going to move to Terrace. That's yeah, a big yeah. change that yeah, yeah. most people aren't making. You can't commute. Like you're just completely changing your lifestyle. So the North, you know, sales are down. Prices haven't really come down much. And, and even if you kind of look at what the most interest rate sensitive areas of the province are, the North is by far the least interest rate sensitive so far. Like sales are down maybe 20% from peak rather than 50 so like those are the markets though that are like look pretty 
pretty solid, especially the Kootenai. It was very, had a very normal looking year. The markets where I guess there might be more downside, I think it's very short term. And I think we've, we've seen most of it already. They're kind of the obvious ones like, like the, uh, the Valley or really like what it saw, like such a large run up, but the, the change in that market has been pretty abrupt. So I don't know how much more there would be. And there's some real like demand drivers in those markets too. Like Surrey still growing a lot. Abbotsford is still growing a lot. Chilliwack still growing a lot in population terms. So it's not like those are ghost towns now. Yeah. They're just not getting yeah. like all of that demand all at once. But they're still going to be growing. So I think they're going to rebound. I don't think there's much more downside in those markets. They're pretty slow right now. So you can only kind of pick up. Uh, you know, just thinking back to one uh, point you made a while back, but when, it, you know, usually the bottoms a couple months into a recession yeah. and then you usually have a pretty robust year after that. You know, a lot of people are, have talked about, you know, hockey stick recovery or, yeah. you know, bouncing along the bottom. What is this? Can we just flesh that out for, for Metro Vancouver? Like, what do you think? And I know from everything you've said, there's a lot of uh, what ifs that happened in 2023, but best guess in terms of what this actually looks like, say in the next year and a half. Yeah. So I think, I think 2023 is going to be a pretty tough year. Just because it is, we are very, you know, uh, interest rate dependent on how the recovery looks, and it's still pretty uncertain which which direction rates are going to go. Like if you talk to Bank of Canada, like or even the Fed in the, in the United States, like rates are going to be high for a long time. But most of that's just trying to tell, you know talk markets out of their current like thinking that you know there's going to be a pivot or right back. <laughs> yeah. So. So I, I I think the most likely scenario though is that five year fixed rates continue to head lower. Bank of Canada is cutting rates by the end of the year. And we're starting to see like a pretty decent recovery by the end of the year. So like instead of sales, you know, in Vancouver on like a 20,000 pace, like they are now, they're like more looking like 28, 30,000 kind of pace and then strong momentum heading into next year. I think that's the most likely scenario. And then, so like just getting past 2023, which I think is, is not going to be a great year for the market. It feels a lot like, that really slow period between 2018 and 2019 before rates changed. Yeah. So like, if you kind of track that, like the summer of 2018, 2019 was very slow. And then we started to see five-year fixed rates come down a lot. Same thing that was happening in 2019, the yield curve had inverted. Long rates were coming down, even as the Bank of Canada had like just finished tightening rates. A lot of people talking about recessions in 2019 that were, you know, that were on the horizon. And then we had a pandemic. So I don't think that's what the yield curve was predicting, but like maybe we would have had a mild recession anyway. Cause like we're just the, I think when, when I think the yield curve is often saying when it inverts, it's like the economy is really vulnerable to shocks. So like it could tip very easily. That's, and so that's probably what it's signaling now. But yeah, I think 2023 growth is going to slow down. Hopefully we get rates coming down, inflation normalizes. That's sort of my baseline and that we're, we're into a much different market by the end of 2000, of the end of this year. And we're set up for, demand-wise for a very strong 2024-25 because I think no one has talked about at all the incredible increase in, in immigration in Canada into a market that already has all these other demographic pressures. So that's actually where I wanted to go. And I, I don't know, I yeah. don't know if you have any different direction, but let's talk about kind of trends. You're seeing like broad trends like immigration. We've talked a little bit with you in the past about interesting demographic trends that I don't think get enough press, but, you know, maybe even the work from home crowd coming back. I don't know, like what, what, and that's just putting it out there. What are the big trends, you know, apart from 
the interest rates and macroeconomic stuff uh, yeah. that is that faces Vancouver. Yeah, like longer term stuff. So, and you know, there's lots of like the first week of January, I fielded all of these international media calls about the foreign buyer ban. Sure, which is not very important at all. It, if you look at the details of it, it's, it's a lot of geographical, you know, loopholes and like a lot if you're, of exemptions. A lot of exemptions. So like it doesn't. It maybe applies. I think we estimated, you know, probably fewer than 100 sales a month that it actually applies to, but. On that story, I did BBC, New York Times. I had my picture in the New York Times. Oh, I saw that. Excited. I saw wow. that. I know. And then I was Le Monde. I did like South Korean television. So all this, for something that's not very important at all, I haven't have yet to really do a single interview, I think, about increased immigration, 500,000 record immigration targets for the next three years. So 500,000 new immigrants. The thing we're trying to work through right now is how many of those people are already in the country and they're just like, Trying to, trying to get resident status, but they're already here as a temporary resident. And how many are actually new? <laughs> how many are actually going to be new into the, uh, into the country? But so like, just to estimate what the demand impact is. So foreign buyer ban is maybe over two years, a couple thousand sales hit for the whole province. The increased in immigration could be as much as like a 30,000 household increase in BC. And, you know, if you look at census data, about half or so of uh, new immigrant families buy a home in the first five years. Household size is like between, you know, two and a half and three and a half. So you get like this, you know, there could be 15,000 or so sales in over three years, you know, wow. versus losing 2,000 sales. So like several magnitudes higher of the demand impact yeah. uh, of that policy. And that's on top of a market that already has a whole bunch of millennials that are, you know, in their mid-30s need to find homes as well. So we're, we're pouring a lot of demand into a market that already has all these very strong demographic pressures. And that still is, you know, if you look at CMHC's estimates, is has like a 600,000 unit shortfall in terms of supply. So, so I think if we get past 2023, we're going to be right back in the same situation we're in before, but with now like supercharged demand. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out. Starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. 
We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. And you know, one thing Stephen Quinn would say at this point is, but how can anyone afford it? And I remember because- Why'd you do it in that Weasley voice? <laughs> <laughs> no, he said it. I, he actually literally said that when I was listening to you. And and you had a point, I have been thinking about it a lot because I've just never, I mean, you said it's, and I'm maybe yeah. paraphrasing you, it's not an income-based market, it's a wealth-based market. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because what does this look like? We're at, with at least with current interest rates, my understanding is we're at, yeah. at it, we're the least affordable we've ever been right this second, right? And it sounds like there's going to be a lot of upward pressure, maybe not this year, but 2024, 2025. Yeah. So I think any large city like, like Vancouver, especially larger global city, do sort of become very wealth-based markets. And for some reason, we like to pretend in Vancouver that like everyone in Vancouver is broke and that we always get these median in, you know, household income data that's always quoted wrong. It's always the wrong, they're usually the wrong series. Like, oh, people make $40,000 a year in Vancouver. It's like, that's ridiculous. Well, there's a lot of money in Vancouver, like a lot. Just even the cars alone. Like I, I, just, I just got back from a lot of big cities and nowhere has the level of just the standard car being yeah. you know, $120,000 car, which is very common here. There, yeah. There's, there's a ton of wealth and it's domestic wealth and it's people have made a lot of money in real estate over the past 25 years. Like anyone, any baby boomer that, that has, that owned a home over the past 25 years and has cashed out, it just has a lot of money and they're tra they're not waiting to die to give that money to their children a lot of the time. So there's that, that wealth transfer from, from baby boomers to, to millennials or, or even to Gen X who gets you know, most ignored most of the time, but even they're getting some money from baby boomers. That's a big deal. And it's, it's unfortunately become necessary in this market because that hurdle, the, the, the down payment hurdle is tough. And now, like, even if you can scrape together a decent down payment, like qualifying now, if you're a 35-year-old, you know, your income, you're not obviously at the peak of your earnings for your, for your life. Now you got to qualify on like a really big mortgage or really high interest rate. That's really, really hard to do, you know, with, especially without a gift from your, from your, you know, someone from your parents or whoever, grandparents. So yeah, like, so like wealth is like a lot of like wealth transfer, right? Like it's just, you know, it's not necessarily 35 year olds that are, you know, rolling in, in, in money, but they might have parents and grandparents that have, that they're willing to give them a decent amount of money and, you know, they're not waiting to die to do it. Rennie has been talking about this for years, forever. obviously, and forever. And I think if anything, it's it's kind of odd, but the pandemic and the frenzy to get into the market and the runaway of prices. And on top of that, now the high interest rates, it's like those two things are really accelerating this, this wealth transfer, I think. Like we, a lot of brokers we've talked to, including we had a powerhouse mortgage broker in today who that was, she was saying like almost every file she looks at is gifted money now. Yeah. And because where else is the money going to 
come from, right? Mm-hmm. It's, right. it's hard to save a hundred thousand dollars as a, a 30 year old, you know, for most, for most people. Right. And, and to even, to, you know, that even if you're, you're buying a, an apartment that might be a $600,000 mortgage in, in some places in Vancouver, that's going to be pretty tough to hurdle to clear, even at, at these high interest rates. So like, you know, the higher rates go, the higher it's qualify, the bigger down payment you need, the bigger gift you need. Right. Yeah. Is the wealth transfer like the least understood part of this market? I think so. Cause it's, it's pretty opaque. Like no yeah. one, no one's like advertising, like, you know, I got this great apartment because my, my grandfather left me $400,000. Cause will. my mom took a reverse yeah. mortgage. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's just grit. I'm just on that grind yeah. every day. Posted yeah. on LinkedIn. Side hustle. Got up at four in the morning. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Did you, or did you get a club? Yeah. yeah. It's so. my jewelry business that I'm doing on the side. But, but I, I think like we, and this is a conversation we had not long ago with a, with an economist and it hasn't even aired yet out of Alberta. It was a fantastic talk, but he, his point was, you know, Vancouver has to drop another 35, 40% for it to be affordable. Yeah. And based on, you know, incomes and, and it's like, okay, you you follow the logic and you're like, okay, it all makes sense. But it, it, it just by, like through osmosis, I know that, oh, you're not from Vancouver. This market is not, it, that might make sense in Winnipeg. It doesn't make sense here. And if you're looking from the outside in, yeah. you know, I think it's just, there's a different perception. Even like the CMHC report where they're estimating what the supply gap was, and it's a great report. And you know, one of the one of the guys that that helped with it, and it's it's a really cool model and everything. And and but even there, like just to get to a forty four percent affordability, so like you know your your mortgage payment to your to your income, and they use forty four percent for. BC or for Vancouver, I can't remember which it was versus like 30% normal. Cause like we've never had a 30% right. uh, you know, ratio, affordability ratio in, in Vancouver. And so like, even with that getting to 44%, I think entails like a, like a $200,000 drop in average prices or something, which isn't going to happen, especially because we're, we're not building enough. Right. So, you know, it's going to be very difficult to get there. We've talked a little bit about markets that have been very resilient during the downturn. What markets are you, do you think are kind of set to to really take off or explode when when the activity comes back? It's as simple as, as supply and demand. So you know if we're going to have that much immigration, so say we drop thirty thousand households into the Lower Mainland because it's most of where new immigrants go, they're going to go to the places that they usually you know, immigrants like to go. They're going to go to the city. So they're going to go to Surrey, Vancouver, the, like the, the typical kind of metro Vancouver is going to get an, an increase in demand and it's going to filter filter out the way it always does. So I think, you know, that's the biggest driver kind of longer term when we get back into like a normal market. Like if we're going to have this huge increase in demand from, from those immigration targets, they're probably going to end up in the places they normally end up. And so those markets are probably still going to be undersupplied because it's really hard to catch up. You know, I, I keep saying our best possible housing policy would be to to build a time machine and go back 10 years and build a whole bunch of housing that we didn't do because we were spending so much time talking about foreign investors. For since 2010, like maybe if we had just been talking about building supply and like increasing, that would have that would have helped. It's really hard to catch up now. Like we're just way, way behind. So I think, you know, it, we're not going to get to some magical level of affordability in Vancouver at any time. I think it's I think it's, it's, I hesitate to say it's a lost cause on affordability, but it's really hard to to get there with the math, right? Like, but there's going to be demand. There's not a whole lot of supply. It's really hard for prices to adjust to some affordable level, right? So that's why I would say, like, the best we can do is to lower, 
the the long run rate of growth. We're not going to lower the price level, you know, long term, but we can lower the, the the growth rate of prices to something in line with incomes and inflation at least. If we can build more supply, and that's just from building. Yeah, just matching. Like we have this situation all the time. Like if you look at prices in Vancouver, they're kind of a step function because it's like they go up and then they kind of trend sideways for a little while and we get some other shock and prices go up. If we can have supply that gets to market faster to mitigate the impacts of those shocks, like some demand shock didn't foresee, otherwise the shock, then we supply can get aligned faster. Builders can, you know, oh, my prices are going up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this project and it's going to get to market in the next year and I can take advantage of these prices. That would help you know, get, you know, mitigate those price shocks. It wouldn't, you know, mean that prices are going to flatten out or anything, but we wouldn't set up prices going up 25% a year. Maybe they go up 10%. Yeah. You know, and growth comes right back down to, to mean, right. Instead of this like prolonged, like, Oh, prices were up 20% this year, that 15% the next year. And then it starts to fade. Yeah. We need to match supply and demand way faster. And that's the biggest problem with Vancouver markets and, and really housing markets all over North America is just, Demand changes overnight and supply takes way too long to catch up. Has it always been that way? Seems like it. I yeah. don't know. Like at least for the past, maybe we've had like more demand shocks, maybe like this combination of demographics plus, you know, the the secular downtrend in interest rates. Like that combination, if you have all of a sudden have a whole bunch of housing demand from people that are in their you know home buying kind of prime years at a time when rates fell to zero in the 2000s, like probably a pretty good and you know global markets open up and everything else and you've got you know investor interest and you've got you know people buying principal residences just sort of like a confluence of events that created like the worst possible scenario right you know i just had one other question and it goes back to some to our conversation last time we had you in i think or maybe the time before i can't remember but it's always stuck with me about you know we've talked today more about immigration and what those you know 500,000 people coming to the country means for demand. Last time you were on, we talked about just people aging into when they need to leave their parents' basement or whatever. They're starting to have families and what that's going to do to the market. And at least anecdotally, I think it feels like those, the millennials are the ones who have these interest rates have just crushed, Yeah, right? Like the carrying costs have just become in the last year. It's just, it's too, too much. So a lot of them are, are stuck prolong, a prolonged rental situation that they weren't probably expecting two years ago. Right. How does that factor in, do you think? Is that just like kind of a ticking time bomb where the minute rates go down, like there's going to be this big demand shock set aside immigration, but yeah. that kind of cohort? Yeah, I think that, you know, even before the, the increased immigration targets, we thought like over oh, the next 10 years, you know, I think stats can or BC stats estimates we'd have more people in their 30s than at any time in the past 50 years. Right. And 30 year olds need homes. And like right now, we're really stressing out the rental stock too, because there's, you know, a lot of people who probably would like to buy homes, those high rates. Again, and you're in the early 30s, you're not in your peak earnings. It's really hard to qualify at, at, at those incomes. Mm-hmm. But the demand is there. Like the, we kind of get like, try not, I try to be better at not talking about sales and demand is the same thing. Like the demand is there. It's just a matter of unlocking that demand, like getting, you know, people like, you know, can save enough and they can qualify so they, they're not renting anymore. That frees up the rental stock. So there is a lot of demand just from demographics. It's the matter of unlocking that demand. And I think lower interest rates, like the fastest way to do it, lower prices through more supply is another way to do it, right? Or just more choice for, you know, more types of supply that, 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 that kind of match the demand that's out there. But like interest rates are probably going to be what, what does it. 
I'm just thinking about right now the headline for 2023. What what do you think it'll be? Oh man, I mean it's it's really right now. It's things about are we going to have a recession? It's sort of are we going to have you know through the recession or like what if we held a recession and no one came? Where it's like everyone's talking about recession, <laughs> but like you know jobs just keep growing and like everyone's just waiting. Like is this recession ever going to show up? I think that's the biggest thing. Like it's been maybe the most forecasted recession in history. Everyone's expecting a recession and like more and more, it's like, eh, are we going to have a recession or not? Like, yeah. where is this recession? So I don't know if that's a headline. I'm bad at writing headlines. So you can see like well, my headline is like 17 words. S- same question, 2024 then. <laughs> I think 2024 is, is going to be like a year of recovery. I think like 2023 is probably, you know, most likely going to be a pretty tough year for the economy and for the housing market. But 2024, I think is going to be very strong unless everything just sort of shifts. And now we're talking like, oh, to the end of 2024 is the recession and then things, right. the window shifts. But right now, I think, you know, baseline is at least the growth slows and inflation comes back to normal. Rates come down. We're set up for a strong 2024. So, and uh, just thinking about, you know, and I think I think of this in relation to maybe growth stocks, right? Like that we've had this crazy run since, you know, the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, where it was all capital appreciation. And now there's regime change yeah. and all the the central banks have shifted and we're in for a whole different set of circumstances for the foreseeable future. How does that impact the housing market? Is there a situation where we stabilize and kind of go sideways for three years, five years, eight years with higher interest rates? Or do you see, as you said, kind of, hey, we go back down to to neutral yep. and that looks pretty good. And then it kind of takes off again. I think the best case scenario for what I would like to see is that we rates come down and we get back to some normal pace, which I've been waiting for my entire career. But one time it's going to happen where we just have like in the province, 85,000 sales and prices grow 2%, right? <laughs> a boring and we have like a, just market. a boring yeah. few years because we've had so many ups and downs. So I think it's really hard to get there because we've got such a structural problem on the supply side that we're constantly... We have, you know, again, we have all these demand pressures that we know about, and then we're creating more demand pressures through policy without ever thinking about how that's going to, you know, so we always think about this demand side and never think about the supply side. Like, how are we going to, where are we going to put all these new people? Where are we going to put all these existing 30-year-olds? Like, we've, it's pretty easy to forecast, like, age, right? People are, we know (laughs) how old people are, and they're going to keep aging, eventually they're going to need to move somewhere. And so it's really hard to foresee a situation where prices stagnate in a situation where we have all these demand pressures and we haven't really fixed the supply side. So maybe as a final question, Brennan, I'm just thinking about across the province, you're somebody who's, who's always deep in the stats. W- what areas, what regions are you, are you most excited about in the next, call it three to five years? So I think my old answer for this always used to be Surrey. And like the and like basically the the Fraser Valley because there's young families moving out there. That was before prices went up like sixty to seventy percent in those markets. And then so a lot of I think what I thought was going to happen kind of did so in like hyper speed because of the the pandemic. I think those are still like markets where they're obviously going to grow a lot. Surrey's one of the fastest growing cities in Canada. Well, and those the immigrants that you talk about, I feel right. like Surrey's the so there's there's still all of those down. Like, and Surrey's very young too. Like I think. 
I remember looking at the data on like most common ages for Surrey and like one of the most common ages was like 16. Like it's just really, it's a really young city. So I think that's still, Surrey's still a, a growth story. I think it's a lot of the price, the like prices went up so fast. Maybe there's not as much room for prices to appreciate. And then the other one I was talked about was the North too, because they had so much economic activity going on. That's maybe started to fade because some of those LNG projects are ending and they're not necessarily like long-term job creators because they kind of like, they, they run pretty lean. So those were what I would say before. I think the, the, it's always about demographics. So, you know, I would also used to say the island because it's so many retirees <laughs> moving to the island. That all happened at hyperspeed during the pandemic. We just had all these people right. relocate. So places like Campbell River went up like 40, 50% or like Parksville and those kinds of places. So it's hard to find like where that value is now just because prices went up so much. But I think, again, it, it's just markets where there's just a lot of demographic pressure. So that would, it would still be fast growing cities like, like, like Surrey, like Kamloops, those types of markets where like, you know, Kamloops is growing really fast. Those are kind of the markets where I would expect there'd be more growth, but like a lot of it happened really fast in the last two years. So it's tough to say like next three to five years, maybe not as much, but I think longer term, like I think those cities are going to continue to grow. So Surrey, Kamloops, you know, Penticton, the, the most common age in Penticton's over 90. So not, maybe not. <laughs> that's an older, if you're looking for like, that's, that, in that's, the top 10 ages, we're all over 60. It's a, that's an older city. Penticton uh, has come up on so many people. But also, top we literally the, this morning we were talking about how the brew pubs and the restaurants are so hip. And it's like, like well, it could be, yeah. <laughs> it's called a happy hour. It, it could be, it could be one of those cities that like in 10 years looks more like Kelowna and just yeah. to, like look younger and you know, younger people are moving in because. You know, spoiler alert, people over 90 tend not to live much longer than 90. So there could be, you know, that that's a city that could that could change a little fast over 10 years. But, you know, it's I think some of those markets in the interior, though, are probably maybe in the next 10 years prime for some growth, especially as Kelowna just gets sort of more of a hub. What are your thoughts on? And I mean, we've talked about downtown so much on this program, but we've kind of been of the mind that, you know, the gap has kind of narrowed between downtown and the rest of the lower mainland significantly over the pandemic, right? Well, and, not, yeah. And also like the, you know, the last time downtown was really busy was 2017. Prices have been flat. We're almost, we're almost pushing a decade nearly, like, Do, not a decade, but six years, I guess. Yeah. Does that inevitably imply that there's, there's got to be legs to the downtown market? I mean, I, I, I don't see that as necessarily causation, but I, I, it, it, we often think of it as like, the gap has narrowed so much that on a price per square foot basis, you can get good product downtown at the same cost as new products in Surrey. Right. And one's Vancouver and one's Surrey. And I'm, I'm not saying anything not bad about it. making any judgments. Not making any judgments. And we've been critiqued for being a Vancouver-centric program. But well, it is the Vancouver real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surrey is a real estate podcast is launching later <laughs> next month. But, but, but I, guess, I guess to you then on that, it, do you think Vancouver could have legs in, in, in the coming years? Yeah, it's or? still, you know, going to be the economic hub uh, of, of BC. And it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool city that I think young people still like to be in. So I think the affordability part is pretty challenging, even if things have been flat. Like, like just looking at the the stats most recently, like average price of an apartment is still pretty high. So that part's tough. It's obviously going to be if you're younger and you want to live in the city, you're probably be renting. It's pretty tough to find rental too. So I think if we fix like the rental stock in Vancouver, especially, that's key to I think having a more vibrant downtown. But again, that's a longer term 
problem that we're just not very, city of Vancouver is not very good at fixing. Right. As a total aside, just thinking about the interior and it was kind of jumping around here, but I'm just curious, environmental factors, are they in your forecasting in any way or do economists, is it, is it pretty tough to kind of incorporate? Super tough to, to incorporate into, I mean, people have obviously tried to marry like climate models with economics. It's really hard to do. I certainly don't know how to do it. How do I can't model? It's hard, hard to model the housing market. It's really tough to model the climate. Yeah, I have no yeah, idea where yeah, I even yeah. start. Especially together. Yeah, yeah and then exactly. marrying them together. So especially over a two-year horizon. The one thing I would say though, like we, you know, especially uh, you know, the markets in the interior that have, you know, there's going to be continued, you know, climate disasters there, forest fires, everything else. And you talk to realtors there and they, you know, when you have a really bad fire season and, you know, obviously interest dies down because like, I'm not going to buy a house on a lake if I can't see the lake because there's so much smoke. But all it seems to take is like one season that's normal. And <laughs> a couple right sunny back. days. Like, I don't know. People seem to have very short memories yeah. for this stuff. It's um, crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think the only way it would ever change is if like insurance companies were like, we're just not yeah. insuring this anymore. Which is kind of happening. Yeah, it could. That, that's the only way I think you get a change like that. But, and now just thinking about this, like on the East Coast, Southeast Coast of the U.S. where they get, you know. Yeah, mudslides. And like, it's just yeah. like they're constantly dealing Fires. with New Orleans. You're like, yeah, this is just, it's fairly, Puerto Rico is, re, it's, they're just yeah. constantly rebuilding. Constantly. And so, I don't know. It seems like a human behavior thing that I don't understand that like those risks just aren't really well quantified by, by people. Like, I don't know. Or it just all it takes is like one great summer and you're like, no, this is totally worth it. I don't know. Yeah. Here's to 2023. <laughs> well, we have this segment, Brendan, called the five wire. You've had some very memorable answers in the past. Do you have time to stick around for that? I do. I do. It would be pretty weird if I'm in the studio. So I just got up and left. Like, <laughs> We're not so leave. Leave. <laughs> The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. All right. So question number one, one book you've read recently that you would recommend. All right. Whenever you ask me for one, I usually give you multiple. So I was reading, because I'm identify as Gen X as a 90s kid. So I read Chuck Klosterman's book about the 90s, which I think I, I recommended last time. Yeah. But then after that, I also read... Was it a Keynes? Oh, that was a while ago. Oh, that, yeah, that was, was a while ago. That was two great biography. Back. That was a great biography. Then I read Everybody Loves Our Town, which is like a history of, of the Seattle music scene. That was fantastic by uh, Mark, Mark Yarm, not to be confused with Mudhoney lead singer Mark Arm. So listeners, make sure it's not. <laughs> or what was the heroin book by <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark Lanning? Mark Lanning. Oh, Mark Lanning. Yeah. Did you read his book? No. Oh. That sounds dark. Oh, I'm guessing. It, it was insane. There's a lot of Mark. There's a lot of, uh, of Lanning in, That's in, the, in Everybody Loves Our Town. And it's he's a mess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I just read Stephen Hyden's Long Road, which is about Pearl Jam from beginning to end. That was really interesting, too. So. 
kind of set on 90s music if you're really interested that's a good trio if you're super interested in the 90s especially music that those are three great. those are three good ones it, it does this is uh, in the last few years what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life and you're not deadlifting anymore let's just yeah <laughs> but we're not gonna spoil the answer with that but we we had a long conversation about deadlifting yeah no deadlifting uh, you've hurt your back bad for your bad for your back god have i changed anything i guess the i did start I hate, I was telling you guys before this, how much I hate cardio. And so I've tricked my brain into doing cardio by setting up uh, an Xbox that I can play while I'm on the treadmill for 30 minutes. So doing that every morning, if I just start in the morning with some, some exercise that I think that's, I don't know, has it helped? I have no idea. It's not probably, you know, not it's not doing any harm uh, necessarily. So and you get um, your video games in. Yeah, I, feel like that's I, I don't, actually... I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, play video games any other time. So yeah, I've got, kids and a job so i don't really spend much time and a wife that he's been on that treadmill for four hours <laughs> yeah yeah right. what's he doing down there <laughs> but if you imagine if you were like hey, i burned 900 calories yeah no so i've been i've been trying to do to do that and that's you know that's a, a nice way to start the morning eight o'clock in the morning just do a quick 30 minutes and oh, that's great. you know play play some madden or something i don't think we've asked you this or at least i can't remember your answer favorite movie oh boy so I love movies, so it's very difficult to narrow it down. We were redoing our TV room a while ago. So we were, you know, four people in our family were like, everyone choose a movie. We'll get a poster, these like minimalist kind of posters put on the wall. Of course, my kids never did because they're teenagers. Like, they don't tell Pick us your favorite, lame. favorite things. <laughs> we only tell you what we hate. Shut up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> on my wall right now is The Godfather, Pulp Fiction, Christmas Story. It's my favorite Christmas movie. And The Royal Tannenbaums. Oh, wow. All, all close to my heart. Yeah, I was going to say, you kind of, <laughs> I thought one would be like, eh, but no, Christmas story, pretty great. All classics. Did you see the new one? It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It I was better it. than I thought. There's it was a like, new one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, um. It's like a sequel. Yeah. But with the uh, same characters. Who's playing Ralphie? Peter Billingsley. The same dude. Yeah. Oh, it's, really? um, Yeah, it's just him as an adult. I haven't seen it. I heard about it though. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be terrible and it's surprisingly good. So. Put it on your put it on your your list for next year. Yeah, I was gonna say next year's next year's Christmas movie. Okay, so favorite band or music for you, Brandon? I'm also gonna say or favorite live YouTube music while you're a tall boy deep because I because I, I know we all like we all have the same pastime outside of video games and treadmills. Man, favorite YouTube that would be. Well, you've got some pretty good videos. You've had some good, you, yeah. One that's actually made it into my rotation. Idols, yeah, idols, idols. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idols are always amazing to watch live. I'm a huge Wilco fan, but I've seen them tons of times live because I'm a dad in his 40s. So I think you have to like. Yeah. Wilco. Yeah. <laughs> God, what's another really good YouTube performance? Not a whole concert, but if every once in a while, I think it's is it at what's the what's the music festival? It's like in the south. There's a band called Phosphorescent. So there's a guy and there's a song called Mermaid Avenue. And if you search live phosphorescent Mermaid Avenue, there's a really good festival performance of that song that I like a lot. Oh, no. <laughs> Another <laughs> one. This is a re don't I, edit. Yeah. We're, just, we're just doing two. <laughs> Another one. One of my favorite all if you want to just feel good about something, which, you know, why wouldn't you? There's a band from there's a band called Bomb the Music Industry. That were like, I don't like ska, but they were kind of a ska band. I don't like horns. And this guy named Jeff Rosenstock, who's like a punk dude, awesome. It was in that band, like their very last performance. Bomb oh, the music industry. Wait, and this is like a band from when? Early 2000s, late yeah. 90s? Or no, early mid 2000s, 
mid-2000s. And they did their, played their last concert, and it's just like a big party and sing-along. Even though Skull was still a thing. Your mighty, mighty Boston yeah. <laughs> says otherwise. The only good thing about Scott is like there's always like mighty, mighty Boston just had the one like hype man that would just dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good job. Funny story, maybe not so funny. I saw the mighty, mighty Boston <laughs> in your dreams. No, <laughs> I, I think in 90, 1998, yeah. in, I went to the University of Calgary and they played their classic. And the lead singer went really crazy and he was dancing around, of course. Yeah. And he, they wear. Like uh, Full suit suits, coats, yeah. yeah. And he took off his jacket and he was swinging around. And he threw it into the crowd, like right near the end of the concert. And then they, okay. And they all left. And then he came back out and he was like, uh, hey guys. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I've never, I've never listened to them since. Like that was like the, 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 he it was is, such it's, a it's like sad a, state. Uh, it's like a wedding bouquet that if you catch it, then you, you'll form yeah. a ska band. Within <laughs> yeah, the next exactly. Year. You're the new member of Skanking Pickle. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a side note I, I on the drive in I, I finished the Rick Rubin Rich Roll podcast which oh man, yeah Rick Rubin is everywhere right now he's got oh, a book I guess his book, book he's on. on the book tour there's a podcast I listened to where they they, they did a whole um, Crosby Stills Nash and Young discography from very beginning it gets hilarious because they, they get those albums get like a solo Graham Nash album from like 1998 <laughs> it's terrible and like anyway but now that they're, they're doing this thing called Ruben Ask where they go through the entire Rick Rubin catalog and he's done you know, everything from like producing like an Andrew Dice Clay comedy album to like you know you know Beastie Boys and yeah. you know, Johnny so Cash and Beastie Boys he apparently wrote like it, it's crazy all the music half the album yeah I, I feel like I've listened to the Beastie Boys come out with a book, like an oral history. Yeah. yeah. Like a few years okay. Ago, like I, like I feel like I either read or listened to that. And then they have a documentary. And my recollection is they hate Rick Rubin. Oh, really? I don't know. Am I dreaming that? Because then Rick Rubin was on that. I was listening to it last night. He's like, yeah, I basically wrote all the Beastie Boys albums. And you're like, hmm, that's not their yeah. telling of <laughs> yeah, exactly. how that went down. But I anyway. remembered a little differently. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I might be speaking out of, uh, out of school. Yeah. Yeah. Might get an email from Rick Rubin. We'll get our fact checkers on this. <laughs> Last but not least, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 recently that's had a positive impact on your life or even potentially changed your life. Boy, I don't know if I'd go as far as changing my life. <laughs> Nobody does yeah. ever go that far. <laughs> I think last time I said like a massage gun over Christmas, we got our, our kids, and this is way under $1,500, just got them gift cards for Skip the Dishes and then just let them order food all month long. And it was great because oh. like they're teenagers eat so much food and they're always complaining about what's in the fridge because it's never satisfying. So it was just like, it was great. So I was just like, they didn't ask, they were complaining. They're just like, Food would just be showing up constantly. It's like, yeah, good. Use your like, eat whatever you want. And this and was, was like, their, so that was their Christmas gift. Was yeah, we just put like a you know gift card in their stocking, and they load it up in their app, and then, which is kind of terrible. Like I feel like one of those like I was like you was like you guys have to make sure you're tipping because my my 14 year old ordered like a cheeseburger on like Christmas day. And I was like, you better have tipped that person. <laughs> like, like it's just awful. Like some punk kid is making someone go get, go get me a cheeseburger. Part of it is like so awful, but it was also, they got, they ate lots of food and didn't bug me about didn't it. enough to cook as much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll maybe leave it there. <laughs> How can people find out more about you, Brandon? Obviously we're huge fans. And, and also and, we're uh, signed up to get all the, the updates, which is, which I feel like has been super for the last powerful. year or two is super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And great it, reports on inflation, uh, job numbers, every, it, you, you run the gamut. 
Yeah. So if you go to bcra.bc.ca and you go to our economics tab, you can put in your email address and you'll get, we do for big, you know, economic data releases, we'll send you an email as soon as it gets released. So we did inflation this morning, you know, we'll do uh, housing starts, whatever. And then we're also, we put out kind of ad hoc research, get that sent to us. One thing that's been kind of interesting to follow this year, we do a nowcast where we're trying to track how the BC economy is growing in, in kind of real time. That's going to be probably interesting to watch as we're talking about when is this recession going to show up. That's where you'll see it in the kind of broad data. Uh, so that'd be an interesting one to follow too. And do you think, how do you think BC fares in relation to the rest of Canada? Do you think we're, because I, th- I saw something about insolvencies in BC. Yeah, we can get talk about <laughs> insolvencies, like the difference between like, because like you get the insolvency number, but like the number you're really interested in is bankruptcies. There's yeah. like proposals. And so most of that increase in insolvencies was proposals where like they, you know, if you get reset in your mortgage and like you have all these other payments, you just go to your lender and work out a different payment system. And that's a proposal. I'm not a bankruptcy person. But that's what it is. Bankruptcies themselves are still really low. So people think of insolvency as bankruptcy. Most of those are actually just people working out different payment options with their lenders. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks okay. so much for your time, Brendan. <laughs> Thank you. Great as always. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Brendan Augmentson, the chief economist at the BCREA. Really enjoyed that conversation with Brendan, Matt. So many takeaways, I think. And what a what a great guest to have on. This moment in the year, I'm going to timestamp this January 19th is when this episode will be going out. Really good kind of forecasting for the year to come. And I measured, very measured in his predictions and in his comments about the market. Yeah, you know what? I feel like some people we have on the show, you're like, all right, guys got a horse in the race. Other people, you know, okay, bearish, but that's kind of their their stance. That's their resting face. I, I feel- I feel like Brendan is, you know, he's just calling it like he sees it. Yeah. Yeah. And not that anyone else isn't, but it's great to have a guy that literally lives and breathes BC real estate data and then comes on and tells us what he's seeing, what the future holds and what to expect. But we often talk about the intangibles, what we're seeing on the ground. And I I don't feel like Brendan does that, right? Like right now there's this feeling of momentum Mm -hmm. that everyone's talking about. He actually poured cold water on it. Yeah. If the data doesn't quantify what we're feeling, he kind of yeah. smiles and says, oh, really? <laughs> I can't see that in the data. And so, yeah, it, it's fun to watch. But I, you know what I think it is, is I, I think there's a lag with this momentum. And I, I do think actually all signs point to at least there's a little bit of an uptick here. Is it going to last? Is it going to be characteristic of the year to come? Or is it going to be a, like a spurt that then goes away and we're back to well and that's what we saw in november right there was about a week couple weeks there couple weeks where you just see these little bounces in activity so it's hard to say right Right. now i do feel like i will say and i almost uh, we we just had a meeting where i almost said this and i and i didn't but last year i feel like one of the questions i came up with for the podcast always was has there ever been a tougher moment to forecast and that question I don't feel like makes sense anymore because mm. I truly feel like six months ago, it was harder to forecast where we we're headed sure. than it is now. Now there's a little bit more certainty. We kind of know how sticky inflation is. Maybe it's going to be a little stickier than people thought, but interest rates are kind of getting to that peak. They're probably going to be around this level for most of the year and markets hate uncertainty. And we're in a much more certain place. And I think that's what's driving this kind of re-engagement 
with the real estate market. It's not like, oh, I have no idea what this, what the future holds. When was the scariest moment in the market in 2022? What month? Because I, I know what I would say, but I'm, I'm curious what September. you would say. Really? Yeah. yeah. My, I was kind of in the October. Um, I feel like September and the reason why was because starting in March, March, April was like, okay, we're on a, we're trending downward, we're trending downward. I felt fairly good in August. I think we had a decent August and yeah. it seemed like, oh, this is a busy, for August, this is pretty good. And September was like a lead balloon. I closed, the, we, we closed on a purchase in August. Yeah, well, yeah, we probably, yeah. Yeah, well, so yeah. That, that, that gives a sense that we felt like July... Yeah, like we were getting a better read on it. And September was dead. Remember? September, September was, was like every I remember the first week. Everybody's going back to school, you know, don't worry. It's it's coming next week. Okay, like what's going on? And it was just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like, you know, like I said, moving towards November was a bit of a surprise. Right. In an uptick. December was dead, but now we're kind of back in I don't know, it feels feels different, that's for sure. Is it possible that this year with the interest rate potentially stabilizing, I could this year just be a series of like false starts? And I, and I think, I think there's yeah. a, that's a real possibility, a bumps, right? Yeah. It, it seems undeniable. We had, we'll tease this episode because it's just such a coup to have these guys both in the studio. But this morning we had Tom Davidoff, associate professor at UBC Sauter School, School of Business, Business. Yeah. We had Andre Pavlov, ED School of Business SFU, Professor of Finance. Yeah. yeah. Both in the studio today debating, well, basically everything real estate, yeah. uh, everything under the sun when it comes to Vancouver real estate. Kind of even a, a bit of a heated debate at moments. Th things that they saw eye to eye on, but a lot of agreement, but they can they have a different perspective on the role of government in, in markets. Let's yeah. Put it that way. But I but here's here's where I, I will spoil something from the episode. Davidoff actually commented that he thought the market might have bottomed in December of of twenty twenty two. That's kind of what he's calling as potentially the bottom, which I've heard now from a lot of people. Well, and here's the other thing. T D, at least these are Canadian, Canadian wide, but I think T D's calling spring is the bottom. Yeah. For Canadian real estate. RBC just came out and said the same thing. So the next couple of months. So if we're, I feel like there's at least a consensus forming in like the kind of, there's a probably a six month window here where it's everybody contingent sees. on inventory though, because if we don't get the levels of inventory that we historically get Well, here's the other thing. And spring, again, something Tom said, I'm surprised prices have been as stable as they, as they, they have, have been in Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. I know it's, it, it is incredible. So it, it's going to be an interesting year. Obviously we just had a great conversation with Brennan Ogmanson. We've got way more episodes coming that are going to be covering everything you want to know about the real estate market, the best areas to purchase, the most up and coming areas, great investments, that sort of thing. It's all here. If you want to learn more about that or anything else, check out VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. We have VIP pre-sale access, some crazy incentives that I thought we could talk about today, but there's we some pre-sale incentives. I'll tell you, uh, if, if you want to find the best, the absolute best deal on pre-sales coming this week. So if you're listening to this now and this episode was released right when you're listening to it, and I'm going to timestamp it again, January 19th. If you're listening to that, 
We have the absolute best incentive I've seen in the pre-sale market right now. It's exclusive to us. Get in touch. That's right. And things like that will be on the live wire. We have deal of the month. We have stats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We also have private client services. Because Matt, if you're not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com slash PCS, I should say. And uh this is the time to get sold prices. This is the time to be alerted when there's a new listing because God knows there's a lot of people waiting on inventory and uh, you'd rather get that email directly to your inbox. New year, new market. You need PCS to find out. EBD. If you if you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you could try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a great week, guys. Next week, another great episode. Can't wait. And follow us on Instagram, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Take care. Talk to you next week. 2,000 faces for radio. Subscribe today.